The Kingdom Roots Podcast is brought to you today by Northern Seminary's upcoming open house on August 16th. This open house will highlight Northern's premier programs and world-class faculty. If you're in the Chicagoland area, please join us in person. Or if driving's just not convenient for you, I don't know, say because you live in like Australia or something, you can join us simply online through Northern's new Northern Live. That's our online learning platform. Signing up now will put you in the running for a $250 credit towards your first class at Northern, $100 Amazon gift card, $50 of Logos Bible software cash, as well as other great prizes. If you're interested in learning more about Northern Seminary and how we equip the church to change the world, you can sign up for this August 16th open house at seminary.edu slash live. Again, that's seminary.edu slash live. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for our episode, we have a conversation with Rick Russo on the neighboring church. Well, today for our episode, we have uh, the guest that I probably know better than any of the rest. He is uh, my father-in-law and uh, senior pastor out at Long in Longmont, Colorado, at LifeBridge Christian Church, and um, we're talking about his new book that has just come out, The Neighboring Church, and uh, it's just a, a bit about their journey at LifeBridge, how they've. Um, come to see themselves as playing a pivotal role in the community? How do they be externally focused and look outside the walls? And now um, really focusing on empowering the the church and their congregation to be able to, to be the best neighbors that they can be and uh, focus on, on doing the, those two things that Jesus said mattered most of uh, loving God and, and loving people and really empowering their people and their, their congregation to be able to do that. So uh, on the outset, Rick, could you just get us started. Maybe um, tell us a little bit about that journey, what it was like for LifeBridge and uh, how it all fit together for you. Sure. You know, I think if I look back, um, there's really been kind of some transition points. When I first went to the church um, a long time ago now, 20 plus years, um, uh, it was a very traditional church. They were celebrating their 100th anniversary and um, we, we really shifted uh, from a traditional to more attractional model. I didn't even have the words then. I was 31. I just knew we were trying to get people who didn't go to church to come to church. And um, and we were having some good success at that. Our church grew from uh, several hundred to um, over a thousand, fifteen hundred. And, and in that time period, I was still burdened by, is the church really making any difference? We know we got people coming to the building. We know people are uh, coming to Christ, and almost 85% of those were were new Christians, and so we were feeling good about that. But was the church really making any impact in the city? And it, it led to a question we asked: If our church disappeared, would anybody care? Would it matter? And um, so, so we made the shift, I think. And, and none of these were hard shifts, but they were um, transitional points for us to more missional. We didn't even know what to call it, so we called it externally focused. That's what led to that. Uh, first book, externally focused church, and and then the externally focused life, and, and and it was about how does the church engage its community? How do we get involved in schools and social services things? And there's been some terrific things that have happened. The stuff we're doing with foster care has now gone national. Things we're doing with single parents, um, uh, the mentoring in public schools, those have all been uh, 
really good things. And, and, and I guess the last, this, this third transitional point was four or five years ago, we were asking the question, Hey, it's great that we're doing this corporately, but how are we getting people to do this individually? And so, so the, that transition is maybe more to, to the word incarnational. And I don't like missional or incarnational or attractional. All those words have been hijacked and they mean so many different things today. But how do we get people to do this at a personal level? So now we're asking, what would happen if we just got better at the two things Jesus said mattered most? Love God, love your neighbor. And what if we actually loved our real neighbor like the one next door? Um, and so that's been for us this journey we've been on. So I suppose the question we're asking now is, is if you disappeared from your neighborhood, would it matter to anybody? Would there be any kingdom loss because you moved? Well, uh, Rick, uh, I like your book. I like a lot your emphasis on neighbors. And I met uh, Jay Pathak and the other guy. Yeah. I yeah, met Dave the Runyon. other guy. Dave Runyon. Dave Runyon. I met Runyon, uh, not Pathak. Uh, Jay, it's Jay Pathak, isn't it? And 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 he explained to me the their theory of the art of neighboring, and I I just think it's a wonderful idea, because it makes church local, it makes ministry local, and instead of trying to solve the problems of the world by going somewhere exotic, at great expense, and frankly with little impact, uh, we begin to dig down into our local neighbors. And I remember the graph that uh, Runyon and Pathak have is that you have to name your nine closest neighbors. With yeah, your they, do the, they do the tic-tac-toe board, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's a, you know, that's a, that is a great challenge for people. Uh, and it's, it's a bit embarrassing to some people that they don't. Now, we have a neighbor who won't talk. Yes. Uh, so that's the way it is. Uh, but but um, our neighborhood's pretty friendly, but... Um, we're not friends uh, in that sense. We but um, yep. so but I, I really like I wonder if you could give uh, if you could tell our listeners um, in your focus on neighbors that Jesus said, love, love, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and then love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus's strongest word about neighbors, I believe, is that when he calls us in Matthew chapter five to turn our enemies into neighbors. And I find a lot of people don't want to admit that they have enemies. Oh, for sure. Exactly. But during political season, it's always easy to name your enemies. Yeah, just look at look on Facebook, right? You can tell who, who agrees and who doesn't. Yeah, that's right. So I wonder, as you look at your book, and I, I really like this focus on neighbors, is if you could say, give us the three um, top, uh, let's say, takeaways for our listeners who are not familiar with your book or your church in Colorado but would say, you know, what can I get out of this? What's it, where, where is it going to help me the most? Well, I think the first is, um, you know, right now there's a lot of hand-wringing about what's happening with the church, um, uh, particularly the church in, the, in Western culture, the church in the U.S. You know, what's the shift? What's coming? Um, because we all recognize the world has shifted. You know, every time there's a climate change on the face of the planet, every organism either adapts or dies. Um and I think we're in one of those climate change times. And so everybody's talking about what's next and what does it look like and where do we go? And, and um, particularly when you look at our larger churches, 
um, they're, they're in every way we measure uh, things uh-huh. in the U.S. There seem to be more and more difficult around Christianity. And what's the church look like? And is the large church the future? Are we going to go, you know, we've never had a successful house church model really in the U.S. And so, so what is the challenge there? Um, because our focus has primarily been on gathering. And we've yep, said, yep, yep. what would happen if we spent as much of our focus? We still got to gather. I think I'm not, I'm not in the camp that says let's throw out the gathering and hope it just kind of all happens. Uh, um, I think we I'm need to you. gather. I think, the, I think yeah. we're commanded to gather. But what if we gave as much energy and effort and attention to scattering as we did gathering? And so I think we talk we talk about that in the book. We talk about what does it mean for us to try to scatter better. And part of that is how do we get our own people to to live out uh, some kingdom values and principles in their life and, and neighboring being one of those? How is it that they're actually loving God with a little better today than they did yesterday and love their neighbor a little better? Yeah. And then we shift into... Uh, talking about some practical ways as a church that we've just tried to make that attempt. And we don't just tell our story. We tell stories of 30, 40, 50 other churches who are yep. all yeah, headed do. down this path. And yeah. and because um, there's a lot of ways uh, down this road. And, and so we talk about what are some of the models, what are some of the ways, what are some of the practices, kind of do's and don'ts around that. But we really focus a lot around what are some simple steps we could get our people to do? We give we give people at LifeBridge, we, we challenge them to do four things. You know, can can you stay connected in your neighborhood? So so we use the neighboring map from Runyon and Pathic, and we actually call it the sheet of shame uh, because <laughs> it's I the first time I did it, I was embarrassed. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know my name. We asked three questions. Tell us. Tell us the people. Tell us their names. Who lives in those houses? Tell us something about them. You know, they yep. moved here from Kentucky. He's a doctor. Uh, you know, she's a, uh, a lawyer, whatever, uh, whatever information. And then tell us some hope or hurt or dream they have, mm-hmm. uh, which becomes a real challenge for us. So we say stay connected. And then we talk about praying for your neighbors. Um, that simple step of praying. And don't pray for them to become a Christian. Um, don't make them a project. But pray for them because you are a Christian. Uh, just just ask God to be in their life and and, and can you start praying specifically for things? And then the third thing we talk about is play, that whole idea of, of hospitality. When you talk about Jesus, talking about turning our enemies, um, the Greek word hospitality is the combination of make a stranger feel what, like, a, like a family member. So how do we take the person on the outside, feel connected to us? And so we talk about play and how does that work in our life and what do we do? And is that a, you know, over for a barbecue? Is it hanging out on, on your front porch? Um, and then we and then we land with say, eventually you're going to have the ability to talk about the difference grace has made in your life. And, you know, it's not the Roman road. It's not if you die tonight where, you know, where you're going. It's not that awkward um, conversation. It's it comes up it just in spiritual conversation. You know, the, the great American philosopher Forrest Gump said, when you go to the zoo, always take some food to feed the animals, even though the signs on the bar say don't feed the animals. It wasn't the animals that put those signs. That's right. So with what's happening in culture today, politically and uh, the racial disharmony that's going on and the terrorism globally, people are uncertain. There's a lot of fear. And I'm having more spiritual conversations today than I've had in a long time with people who aren't believers, who who are trying to sort out if there is even a God who, who they can connect with. And so 
those are the simple steps that we try to give in the book. Um, so we talk big picture, kind of what's happening church-wide. We, we talk a lot about nuns and duns and stats and trends. And, and then we focus around the scattering aspect. And we try to land it around what if we just helped our people be better neighbors. Rick, I I really love how you guys focus on this not just being uh, another program, because everyone knows their church doesn't need just one more program that they have to to monitor and lead and and evaluate. But this is a a value that you guys see infused into your community. And I wondered if you could just give us a a little bit of insight on uh, how was it that you have or are continuing to infuse this as a value, and, um, and how is that going for LifeBridge? Well, you know, I would love to say we have it all solved and all of our folks have really are doing this great and, and um, uh, the kingdom impact is just magnificent in, in and around our city. The truth is that you do this in bits and starts and pieces, um, but we're so used to buying the box with a six-week program, the eight-week message series, the four-week life group thing we're doing, and then we shelve it. It's done. And now we're on to the next thing. And so for the last several years, we've just been talking about this a lot. Uh, the two things. Let's just let's get simpler, and let's just focus on getting better at the two things Jesus said mattered most. Um, we we talked to our folks about in, in Matthew twenty two. Jesus said all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. So in other words, everything God has said up to this point uh, through the prophets, through um, His commands, are are hanging on these two things. And, and so if you hung the door of your life on these two hinges, it may swing more freely. What does that look like for you? We've got resources for you. We've got ideas. We've got things we want you to connect with, but it's on you. It's on you to sort that out. And the same with loving your neighbor. And here's some practical steps. Here's some ways. Here are 99 tips to being a better neighbor. Um, so we we try to drive the value through. This isn't a department in our church. There isn't a, um, a simple program we've done. We've actually tried to say across the board in our ministries, how is neighboring showing up and how are we helping people do this hard work of being a better neighbor? You know, Rick, uh, the, the big issue uh, in the last maybe 25 years in church um, growth, not so much uh, trying to get a bigger church, but in church growth, growing as Christians has been on spiritual formation. And I think back, you know, the preeminent books of uh, Richard Foster and others over the years have been very influential, widely read by people. But one of the things that I've noticed uh, in in literature about spiritual formation is, uh, let's say, it's two things. One is how radically individualistic this is for people to grow in their personal intimacy with God, and how almost how unneeded the church is for most of this spiritual formation to take place, so that it's not about building a fellowship, nor is it about being a missional agent in God's world. So here's a question I would ask you, Rick, as I I look at this, uh, and I don't know if your church talks about spiritual formation if you if you practice if you talk about the classic spiritual disciplines but why why is there so little interest in developing spiritual disciplines that will make us more neighborly more loving more missional 
more incarnational, whatever buzzword right. we want to right. use. Right. Why are there, you know, and what spiritual disciplines do you think it takes to, to begin to develop this? Well, the second half of your question is a, a, the challenging one. Uh, the first half, I think, is culturally we've been about uh, success. So, so we measure we measure church success by you know butts and bucks and baptisms, right? So, we 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 keep score that way, and and it's hard for pastors because that's how we get valued. We get valued by what the numbers are, and and but we we've kind of we've kind of made church more about uh, um, helping people get an exit strategy. I do investing. And one of the first questions you ask is, Hey, I can see how you're getting me in, but how you get me out and what's the exit on this thing. And we've made church more about a, an exit strategy. You come to Christ, you find grace and forgiveness and Hey, do some good things along the way. Um, and then, uh, then when you take your last breath, you're covered. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we haven't tied in, um, that this is the evangelism, that coming to Christ, whatever word you want to use on that, isn't the end game. It's the starting line. It's the and then we've and then we've made spiritual formation a stair step journey. Um, you do one, yeah. you do two, you do three, you do four, and nobody lives like that. We see we see spiritual formation as this loop thing. We actually use an illustration in the book of of you kind of riding the loop up and. Uh, you're you're growing and all of a sudden you find yourself sliding back and you start having doubts and you're curious and you're not sure and you feel distant and then and then something engages you and you take another loop up and we see this we see this movement forward um, but but it's not it's not this one two three four thing because once I fail on a step I I gen I generally want to pause then. Uh, well, for somehow this worked for others, but it's not working for me. I got to step two, but it didn't get me to step three. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we've made, I think we've made, I'm great with the fact that we need systems and strategies because we do. People need ways to onboard and tools to help them move forward. But we've made it so programmatic that it's just another thing they're ticking off their box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've asked people to, what would happen if you tried to live these commands out of Jesus in your life? Um, we want to help you resource that, but we want you to help discover that on your own um, mm-hmm. as well, that you have to have to put these in play. And here's what I think is happening in some people's lives in the life of our churches. The actual doing it with their neighbors has made it personal and real. It's one thing to go. We just had a team come back from Ecuador. We do church planting there. We we're involved in stuff in other places in the world. And those are great experiences for people. Um, not sure the long-term benefit on the other side of the planet, but for our folks, there's a, there's a good spiritual aspect to that. But they go and they do the trip and they come home and they go back to their life. Mm-hmm. Pushing them to be better neighbors is their life because mm-hmm. they come home to that every day. You know, I made a commitment that years ago, if, if one of my neighbors was outside when I came home, I wasn't going to go inside. I was going to go across the street. I was going to stop and talk. And I got to tell you, some nights I, I drive around several times hoping no one's out there. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, when I, when I think of spiritual formation, uh, I think a primary term is sort of, uh, intimacy with God or even ecstasy, 
Uh, in the classic Catholic vision, you know, it, uh, idea, it's the beatific vision. Right. I think if you ask Jesus, what is a spiritually formed person? I don't think he'd say a person who is in ecstatic union with God through prayer and meditation. I think Jesus would say a spiritually mature person is someone who loves God and loves others. So that I believe that a book like yours, a book like uh, Runyon and Pathic, I think these books are helping us redefine what spiritually formed people look like so that they become agents of God's love in the world uh, as a result of having experienced God's love and loving God. So I, I really value uh, this emphasis on loving others, being neighbors as central to spiritual formation. But I can hear some people who are listening to us. Um, I can hear some people in my church who would say, um, I'm an introvert. In fact, our pastor tells me that our church, for some reason, has learned to attract introverts, and he doesn't know why. <laughs> um, but introverts are very comfortable in our church. Uh, what do you say to people who say, you know, that's fine for you. Churches are largely designed for extroverts. They're designed by extroverts, for extroverts, and extroverts are the ones who like to come to church and be happy and clappy. Introverts would rather be left alone. So what does neighboring look like uh, in your experience with people who are a little bit more on the other end of the spectrum for whom uh, neighborliness is not natural, it's not easy? In fact, it is uh, it wears them out. Yeah, I and and I I get that because um, in some ways I actually want to come in close my garage door. Um, what I found out was I, my house was where I was keeping my stuff and I slept and I was doing my life other places, uh, particularly ministry. You know, I drive away from my neighborhood to do it to uh, to quote um, Randy Frazee. Um, and what what we found is that whether you're nine or ninety, you can neighbor. Uh, whether you're an extrovert, the guy who can just know everybody. Um, or you're the person who is wired to to um, get to know people at a deeper level and a quieter level. Uh, uh, Jesus kind of kind of lowered the bar. Um, he, he made it he made it hard to get under this one uh, uh, because just because I'm not that outgoing person, just because my natural inclinations aren't to uh, have 20 people over to my house for a party. Um, doesn't mean that I can't stand in my backyard and have a conversation uh, with my neighbor who may be just as introverted as I am. Um, the, the, when you look at the Good Samaritan story, you, know, you take the two guys who have the corner market on God, the priest and the Levite, and they ignore the command. You take the Samaritan, who supposedly, um, in their view, is a long ways from God. It might be we have to lose our religion if we're going to actually neighbor. Uh, all those all those forms and systems and programs. And, and, and if I, if I turn neighboring into a project, then, then I have to be an extrovert. But if neighboring is coming from who I am, that I'm actually trying to love God and honor God by loving my neighbor. Um, I can be whoever I am. I do that. I do that form the way I'm formed, not formed the way somebody else is formed. 
Well, that's that's really good, and uh, I find that uh, that when when we <clears throat> approach issues like this with something other than the um, the natural extrovert in mind, and we become more sensitive to how different people relate to other people, that uh, that people respond uh, positively. Uh, maybe they're a little curious, they're a little hesitant. Uh, but when when the bar is not so much raised to, you know, you've got to meet 30 new people this week uh, to, you know, what's natural for you and what is easy or what is good for you and what is good for you to grow in learning to love others and be a neighbor. Uh, I think people respond to these sorts of situations. And, and I'm wondering uh, how this has influenced uh, your church itself. Now, I, I'm not going to announce the, the name of the church, but a, a pastor friend of mine uh, had me come out and speak on the Jesus Creed, which is a complimentary type book to yes, what you're is. doing. And uh, he said, and I, you know, to the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself and responding to the Samaritan in your path revolutionized their church as more and more people just simply said, hey, I, I need to respond to people that are in my world that are in need. And their church has grown, but the, the people have grown from it. I wonder if, if you have any stories about how this is impacting your church. Yeah, you know, one of our problems is we want to make everything a, a church growth strategy. Um, in, in a previous book, we asked a question, uh, most church growth strategies are about how do we be the best church in the community? And we were asking, how do you be the best church for our community? And that was, it gave a whole different set of answers to that. And so for us, with this journey of being engaged outside just the church walls, or is this going to add more numbers to our church? We kind of got over that a, mm-hmm. a long time ago for us um, in ways we measure Good. things. Good. Uh, you know, a, a different different type. If we could get over egos and logos, the church might actually, you know, but. <laughs> and web pages. Exactly. <laughs> web pages. Some, some, I know I have friends who are starting a church and they built their web page and a brand name and what was going on in their church before they did anything else and before anything had happened. Yeah, exactly. They had created an image and and for some of them it worked. Yeah, and I, I was kind of embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, go ahead. So I yeah. think for us, we, what I've seen happen is we've, I, I have watched people who you've described who are introverts. We, I, I, I listened to someone last uh, two weekends ago tell me that, you know, I've been hearing you talk about this neighboring thing. And I just, I don't even, I didn't even like some of my neighbors. I didn't, we didn't see eye to eye on some stuff. We had dog issues, I think. And, and uh, that's one of the major things people in America fight about is their dogs. Um, and they, they, she said, but I, I took some uh, cookies over uh, to one of my neighbors uh, a month ago, and that led to a conversation, which then led to us having coffee twice a week, which now we have five uh, of our neighbors who we just get together for coffee and we talk about life. And she said, and, and I approached that the night before, uh, both those two mornings of the week that she's doing this, the night before, I'm praying, God, help me to be sensitive, help me to listen, help me to hear and um, she said uh, about three weeks ago, she asked, is there anything I could pray for, for one of the ladies? They were talking about something going on with their kids. 
And her friend said, well, if you're going to pray for her, pray for me. I've got stuff too. And now as part of that morning coffee thing, they're listing things that she can pray for them mm-hmm. and invite her mm-hmm. friends. Well, that's, that's a small thing. That's no one's going to blog about that, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I, but that's a huge thing in her heart and a huge thing in her, her, uh, neighborhood on her street. And I think there's a kingdom thing happening that God ends up honoring that maybe we don't measure very well. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and these are the kinds of stories, uh, and you know this, Rick, better than I do. I'm a professor, not a pastor. Um, these are the, this is the real nitty gritty at the uh, ground level of what it means to be neighborly, of what it means to love our neighbor as ourself, what it means for the church to be the church in a local community. And uh, I'm so appreciative of this emphasis that you have on even those the words like stay and pray and play. I, lo- I like those little handles to keep people connected to what, what the basic mission is. And, I, and sometimes things are cute and don't work. But in your case, these things aren't so much cute as they are simplification, simple terms to keep people on task and to see what the big picture is actually working towards. So I, I want to thank you for, uh, for your great effort in this book and for the ministry that you have in your churches. And I hope our uh, listeners will see the value uh, of becoming more neighborly and will pick up your book, not as a program, but as a stimulation for personal growth so that they will be spiritually formed into people marked by the Jesus creed of loving God and loving others. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Well, we've hoped you've enjoyed our conversation with Rick on The Neighboring Church. If you're interested in purchasing uh, The Neighboring Church or The Externally Focused Church, you can find both of those resources on Amazon. Or if you would be interested in resources your church can use to help your people be better neighbors in their neighborhood, um, you can find that at theneighboringchurch.com. That's something Rick and their team have put together. I've included all of those links in the description bar below. But thanks again for joining us on our podcast and our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 